but I can teach people how to be themselves imperfectly. And that is the lesson that I really want you guys to take away from today. You can be exactly who you're supposed to be the way you are right now by embracing the mistakes that you've made in the past, taking the steps that you need to take to get over them and sharing how you did that and sharing the things that created the situation for you and the story that you're in right now. Sharing those things is the most powerful thing that you can do to bring fans and consumers and clients into your sphere. Hey, hey, welcome to When Songs Mean Business. I'm your host, Seth Belcher, and I am so excited to be launching the second season of this podcast. I have learned so much while recording the first season, and I'm really eager to take what I've learned and apply it to new episodes and new interviews. As this podcast grows, my guests and I will be exploring deeper levels of vulnerability, authenticity, and healing, along with the important systems and processes needed to run an effective music business. Upcoming episodes will focus on having a healthy mindset about money and self-employment, finding resources when you're stuck, and gaining the confidence to take big risks, especially during a time where just simply existing feels risky. Today's episode is about marketing and how you can use your authentic story to create a really tight-knit community of fans. I'm going to share parts of my story that I've never talked about publicly before to illustrate that these traumatic or difficult things that you go through can be used as a way to connect with others while you're building your business. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is a very personal one for me. So please give us a follow on Instagram at when songs mean business. And if you want to support the podcast, check out our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month. You can access bonus content, worksheets, video episodes, and occasional workshops and classes. You'll also get first access to new courses as they launch. And if you want to help us out without a financial commitment, please share this episode with your friends. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify or leave us a review. All right. Without further ado, let's dive into When Songs Mean Business. Hey, friends. How are you doing? How's everybody doing today? Cool, cool, cool. Okay, so let's kind of just recap everything that we've talked about so far as quickly as possible, because if you know, we remember the the real purpose of what we're doing with building a business is that we're trying to create a roadmap. We're starting with an idea or a skill set or, you know, a passion that we just can't avoid. And we're trying to turn it into a business that has roots and can grow and provide a harvest for years to come, right? So in order to make this map or this this strategy plan we have to know what's important to us where we're going what our goals are and we have to also know what the structure is going to be you know how it's going to be set up what kinds of things we can do to keep the paperwork in order to keep the irs happy stuff like that and then the next piece becomes how to bring people in that are going to help us grow it because most businesses end up, you know, most businesses start with one person with one idea or two people with an idea, and then they start growing. As people get attached to the idea and they start to purchase the product, more and more people become involved with the whole process of, you know, growing this thing. People start to get invested in it, either financially or just emotionally team members start coming on board, fans start coming on board. And, and sometimes there's like even a blurry line between like consumers or fans and potential people that we're going to be working with. This happens a lot of the time with like volunteers or interns or, you know, situations like that. Like 
for to give a musician example, you guys might hit up your core fan base to see if anybody can run the merch table when you're in a city where you don't necessarily have any help, right? So um, bringing in these people and having this, this human element is really what I basically, what I base most of the business planning around in general. So I, I very personally, like very strongly believe that humans form these really deep connections with each other, especially through music. And that in these connections, that's where the real magic happens when we're building a business and, and growing an empire. You know, it's like, we're not just selling widgets. We're not just making things that we can give to people. We're building connections and we're having this like human element to it. So that's where we are going to start our marketing lesson for today is with this human element of telling our true authentic story. Let's talk about how to tell your true authentic story in a way that brings in fans. What I'm going to talk about today is like basic marketing principles for all industries. So this is, this applies to not just getting music fans, but also getting clients, getting students, getting people to buy your product. If you're not in the music business and if you're making something different, uh, any kind of art, this is sort of like general things that I picked up, especially while working in the tax world. Okay. So at this point, you've already written your why statement, your core values, your purpose, cause, or passion, and you've used your niche statement to help you narrow down your focus so that you're really working within this zone of like what's important to you on one kind of laser focused mission, right? That's the goal at least, but people buy from people. So you also have to tell your real story along with all of these kind of business driven specific facts about what you're offering. You also have to tell your story. So many successful business owners have reached their clients because they've shared some element of their personal history what it was like for them growing up, where they're from, or how, like, how they were raised. I think a lot of Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga fans can relate to this. Lady Gaga has done a really great job of this. She was teased a lot during grade school. She was told that she was ugly and that she was weirdo. And she was dropped by record labels because she didn't have the look. She had the songs. Lord knows she has the voice, but she didn't have the look, right? So she reinvented herself and she leaned into this and she started to tell her story and she started to reach out to other people who felt the same way that she did. Other people that felt that they weren't good enough or they were misfits or they were weird or they were funny looking. And, you know, for the first couple of years of her career, when she was going out in meat dresses, like that really worked for her, right? Cause she's making this incredible pop music that a lot of people really liked, but she was still being her true weird self. I really like following the artist Rachel Platten because she's a mom and new mom, and she's attempting to take her kid out on the road with her, which is something that I've thought about and I've had to consider like if I was ever to be any kind of tour manager or if my husband's band goes on tour, that's something that I have to think about. So I really like to follow her story. My friend Dana lost her husband to kidney cancer three months after his diagnosis. So he like wasn't feeling good, went to the doctor, got a cancer diagnosis, and three months later he was gone. And she blogs now about finding joy as a widow. And so I'm not a widow, but my mom is. And I can relate to a lot of what Dana is writing about because I'm empathetic to what my mom is going through as a widow. So these are the kinds of stories that can be extremely difficult for people to tell and talk about because it creates this vulnerability for them, right? 
And they don't all have to be like traumatic and terrible. I connect with this young marketing executive from New York City. Her name is Farron, simply because we both really like electronic dance music. There's all these little facets of that make us who we are that go beyond what we have to offer in a business sense. And having these connections with people are like specific threads that tie us all together. So these little elements of your personality and who you are are extremely important to the process of you connecting with your fans. We can't just only talk about our skill sets and what we're good at and our values and our missions without telling the how and the why of how we got there. People buy people, not products, right? So like I said, these aren't easy things to talk about. It requires extreme vulnerability, opening ourselves up to the possibility of rejection, ridicule, and ultimately of shame, right? So my brother was constantly in and out of jail when I was growing up especially my childhood. He made my childhood extremely difficult. My family was broke. So like I come from a family where everybody else in my family had money. Like one of my uncles owned a golf course and another one of my uncles owned like this economic development firm. And my grandpa was a lawyer with beach houses. And at one point he owned an airplane. And then my brother was like always in jail. And my parents had massive legal fees all the time one of my earliest memories of life, one of my earliest memories of money specifically, is that my brother used a BB gun to shoot out the window and he busted up our neighbor's siding and they refused to put a homeowner's claim on it because they didn't want their deductible, their insurance premiums to go up. So my parents had to pay to get their, our neighbor's house resided out of pocket. And these are the kinds of traumas that deeply affected my financial understanding when I was a very young child. I mean, like I was like eight when that happened, right? So being that my parents were like behind on bills, I grew up being scared to ask for new clothes or shoes or like anything that would have made me look cool or be popular. So I was like, I always felt like the weirdo, like the broke weirdo with the bad brother. And I lived in constant shame. But the bad things that happen to you do not define you. They are not the sharp edges of your personality on which people will cut themselves if they get too close. The things that you survive and the things that I survived tell my story and they tell how strong you are and how you built up the calluses and the life lessons and how you learn to overcome the adversity and make yourself into a better human a better version of the human that you were before, right? So like I could have let that poverty that that my specific nuclear family unit was in, I could have let it crush me, but I didn't. I did not let it define me because out of this trauma, I had to learn how to control my money. But of course, first I went to college and I turned 18 and I took out a bunch of credit cards and I maxed them out at Abercrombie and Fitch. And this is a true story and restaurants because I could never do stuff like that growing up. So I finally had the freedom and like a capital one card to be able to go buy all the clothes and, and makeup that I was scared to ask for. And now I know in hindsight, I could have asked for that stuff. And my mom probably would have said yes, but I didn't, you know. So I maxed out my student loans. I traveled on the extra disbursements. I bought iPods and cell phones and so many concert tickets, you guys. I mean, I've seen like thousands of concerts and I paid for it in the tune of thousands of dollars of interest. And I specifically learned from these lessons how to teach other people to get out of it. Because eventually I realized that this lifestyle was not suiting my goals anymore. And I got my shit together and I started cleaning up all the mistakes from my past. And only by doing that, only by cleaning up these mistakes, was I able 
to teach other people how to do it. If I hadn't lived it, I would not have been able to teach other people how to get out of it. And that wrapping my brain around that has come with a lot of forgiveness. I've basically had to take a step back as an almost 40 year old adult and say, you know what? Those things that happened are good things. They were terrible at the time and they were hard and I was worried all the time and I cried a lot, but they turned out for the best because now I can see how many other people are in similar situations and they can get out of it too. I know for a fact that they can get out of it because I did it. And like, I'm not done yet. You know, my credit's not perfect yet. I still have one student loan that I defaulted on in 2006 that's still sitting in default. It will never go away. It'll keep my credit score lower than it should be for another five years from now. But I'm not afraid of this anymore. I used to be so afraid of it. I used to let the shame of the mistake, like I let a student loan default. I'm terrible with money. I'm a bad person. I suck. These are the things I used to tell myself all the time, right? Every time the student loan company would call and be like, oh, can we get another $250 payment? Every single time they called me, I would beat myself up about it inside. Being a business person and being a tax preparer, I would tell myself, I'm not good enough to teach this. I can't teach people how to manage their money or manage their businesses until I'm perfect. And I genuinely used to believe that I couldn't start this business that I'm doing with you guys right now until my credit score was like 850. And then one day I was like, you know what? Nope. I can't wait for that because I have a gift that I have to give to people and my student loans are not going to be paid off for a long time. But I can teach people how to be themselves imperfectly. And that is the lesson that I really want you guys to take away from today. You can be exactly who you're supposed to be the way you are right now by embracing the mistakes that you've made in the past, taking the steps that you need to take to get over them and sharing how you did that and sharing the things that created the situation for you and the story that you're in right now. Sharing those things is the most powerful thing that you can do to bring fans and consumers and clients into your sphere. And of course, you know, for me, because I'm such an optimist, the first step of this comes from using your own values as your marketing tools, right? Because the first thing that I encourage people to do is highlight the good stuff and highlight the stuff that you're proud of. You don't have to open with the sad, traumatic stuff. You can start with the great stuff, right? Exemplify what you believe in and why. And then as you get closer to your community, you start to dive deeper into how you got there. So if you've been following what I write about and post, you might've noticed that I've never talked about this stuff before. I don't have a blog post up on my website talking about my brother or all the traumatic stuff that that happened publicly. So I have very purposely crafted my public facing narrative to be about the good stuff, the values that I hold, right? Because like having a narcissist brother is not a value of mine. It's something that happened to me, but it doesn't define me. So it's not something that I have to open with, right? So I talk more about love and hope and optimism and ambition and lifelong learning. And, the, and then the things that I choose to share about is like building a business, meditation, being alcohol-free, dancing, sharing joy with my kids. I, I've very purposely chosen not to talk about the traumatic stuff at first. So the values that I share with the public, the public is at the top of the funnel. And we're gonna talk about the funnel here in a minute. But these values appeal to more people on a broader level and start to bring them in a little bit deeper, right? So the people that connect with these first messages of hope and love and optimism and dancing and joy, they're the ones that want to know more about me. You know, they want to be like, how'd she get here? How did she 
come to believe in all of these things that she believes in. So then as I start to bring them in a little bit deeper, and that can be like adding them to my email list or putting them in my private Facebook group or getting on a consulting call, then I start to move them down the funnel and I share a little bit more about my story with them. So usually the thing that I start with is the student loan debt because it's something that a lot of people can relate to, especially a lot of my young music clients who are like, I went to music school, I got this really expensive degree and now I'm having a really hard time paying for it, what do I do? I get that a lot. So I open up with these broader values and then I start to tell little bits of my story as we get deeper and deeper and deeper, right? So that's my own personal example of like how to use your story in a way that starts to open it up. I don't want you to feel like you have to go write a song about the most traumatic thing that happened to you because you absolutely do not have to do that. You know, if your core offer is an intimate listening room show and you know there's no phones, nobody's recording what you're saying, nobody's ever going to hear that show again, that's the time that you tell your most intimate story because you're in that room and you are up close with those people and they can see the sweat dripping off your brow and they feel your energy there in the room. And then you tell them, here's a song you've heard a hundred times. Here's the sad thing that happened to me that made me write it. Here's what it taught me about life. And now I'm gonna play it for you. And there won't be a dry eye in the room, right? And those people are gonna leave that room knowing that you have something special but they're not gonna really be able to like articulate it exactly when they go and try to tell their friends and fans. They're just gonna say, man, she's just so special. The way she tells the story is just so incredible. And I had this experience at a May Erlewine concert at the Ark, right on the Mother Lion release tour. And she was up there and she was telling stories about her divorce and splitting up her family and all the things that caused her to write the Mother Lion album, which if you haven't listened to it, you absolutely have to. And I don't know exactly what she said. I don't remember any of it. I can't repeat the stories word for word. I didn't record any of them, but I know that they were incredible and that they moved me and that they made me listen to the album in a different way and they touched my soul in a way that made me really feel something and turned me into a true fan of hers, right? And so having heard all the things that she said in that at that show, now, and I watch her Instagram story and I listen to her songwriting workshops and I see how much she's growing and moving past that stuff and changing and really like coming into her own. And I feel like I'm almost a part of it. I'm, I'm like on the journey with her and she's bringing me along. And I know that I am one of her true fans because she roped me in, in this emotional way that like, I, I can't go now. I, she's got me forever. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to follow that woman around the world for the rest of time. Right? So that's really what we're going for here. Is that like deep, honest, emotional connection that allows you to show your true self to your fans in a way that's intimate and authentic and vulnerable and terrifying, but you're not doing it to everybody. You know, like Mayor Lewine is not posting those intimate stories about every song on Mother Lion to everybody. They're not on YouTube at all. And that's the, that's the magic of it because when you're building a community of fans, you're not just selling records. You are creating this deep emotional connection. And this doesn't just go for music. This goes for teaching music. This goes for like booking shows and um, podcasting or having, you know, different kinds of like radio shows or anything like that. Anytime when you're building community around what you're doing, you're not just selling records you're creating human connection. I like to think that music has existed since cavemen could bang rocks together around a fire and chant. I like to think about it being that old and how specific people from specific tribes 
would come to the fire because their favorite storyteller was there that day, right? And that's what we are, really. That's what we are, is we're storytellers. And the people that come to our fire are the ones that connect to our stories and want to hear our voices and our chanting and hear our rocks being banged together. So what does that mean for your business? <laughs> um, there is a theory that I want to dive a little bit deeper into. Um, there's a theory called the thousand true fans theory and financially it totally checks out. The thousand true fans theory says that musicians and business owners and artists can have a completely sustainable career if they have only 1000 true fans. And that means that those true fans will purchase everything you put out in a given year. Okay. So if you put out a couple singles, a couple different items of merch, maybe you do a Kickstarter or you have like a big Patreon campaign and you have a tour. Okay. So that's like six things, right? Your true fans will buy all of them. Maybe they each cost, you know, between 20 and $40. Then we're looking at anywhere from 120 to like 250 bucks a year. That doesn't sound like a lot, right? But if you have a thousand people spending $250 on you each a year, you have $250,000 at a minimum, okay? And then there's this other principle that goes along with the thousand true fans theory, which is, it's called the Pareto principle. And it's, it's also called the 80-20 principle. And that one is well regarded in, in business and marketing that 80% of your income will come from 20% of your fans 20, or 20% of your business. So if we combine these two together, that means that your thousand true fans only make up about 20% of your total fan base. And then it starts to sound a little bit more reasonable, right? Because if you have a thousand true fans, but that's only 20% of your core fan base, then you have 20,000 followers, right? Or like 20,000 Facebook likes or 30,000 Facebook likes, but a thousand of them are in it, right? They are like, they're going to buy whatever you put out. They love you. And those thousand people, will support 80% of your financial income. And they're also gonna continue to promote you to their friends and try to bring new people in all the time. And then your fan base is constantly growing and changing and evolving. And that thousand is only a minimum. You know, like I can think of a bunch of successful mid-level bands that are not in the 1%, they are not the Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber's of the world, but they're making a million dollars because they have 5,000 true fans that'll spend, you know, a few hundred bucks a year. And every time that band comes to town, the fans, the thousand true fans are like, you gotta come with me, you gotta check out this band, this is the time, this is the album. And like every once in a while you'll go, and you'll like spend the money on them, but you don't become a true fan, you know, mostly because you don't know that story or you haven't connected to that story or you're like not even emotionally capable of connecting to the story at that time, right? A thousand true fans is only 20 per state. I want you to think right now, do you think you could get 20 fans in each state? I want you to say yes, because I know you can. Okay, you can totally do that. 20 people in each state, that's easy. That's totally easy. And of course, it takes work and it takes effort and you have to focus on the right fans. You have to focus on the people who are gonna fall down this funnel with you, right? So let's talk about the funnel for a minute. The marketing funnel is something that I learned about when I was doing a digital marketing class. This is what the marketing funnel looks like. At the very top, you have awareness. And awareness is where you start to gather the leads 
that you're going to follow up on and that you you want these people to learn more about you basically and you want to learn more about them so from a business standpoint the easiest ways to reach these people are like marketing campaigns like big broad marketing campaigns big events like if you've ever gone to a big festival and just browsed around at the at the stages and you didn't really know who you were seeing or what you were checking out that was the awareness phase okay there's a bunch of different ways to bring people into the awareness phase consumer research doing surveys advertising going to trade shows like nam or the ascap songwriting show having a blog having webinars having a youtube channel you know trying to create a viral campaign basically anything on social media is in the awareness phase okay anything that has to do with search like if you want if you know if if you write songs for kids or something and somebody goes and just searches like goofy songs for kids and you come up first because you paid for google ads that's in the awareness phase media mentions publicity this is all like very top level stuff okay the awareness phase is not where people spend money this is where they decide if they care about you this is where they decide if they're going to buy in to the next phase which is interest and this is where you get people to sign up for your email list and where you get people to click like on your facebook page instead of just viewing the post that you put up or you want them to follow you on spotify or pre-save your single okay so here you start to gather contact information and it allows you to reach out to them in a way that's a little bit more targeted it's a little bit more personal you start to share a little bit more about your story and you're able to go that extra step deeper that starts to pull them in so then in the consideration phase this is where they start to consider whether or not they're going to spend money on you up until this point they haven't spent anything on you yet they're still checking you out basically so this is where you start to say like this is what i have to offer and one reason why a lot of marketing campaigns fail is because they sell their products in the awareness phase so instead of having the awareness phase be this is who i am and this is what i stand for those like big core values the awareness phase is buy my single buy my merch and it's like why would i buy your merch i've literally never even heard of you before right so only when you have their contact information should you start to sell them things and it sh you shouldn't even be selling yet in this consideration phase because they're still not completely sold on you this is where you start to like tease it and you give something away this is like check out a free download or subscribe to my email list and i'll you know give you a behind the scenes video of my most recent single stuff like that free trials case studies things that you can just tell a little bit more of your story draw them in a little bit deeper without asking them to spend any money on you and then you have intent and in the the intent evaluation and purchase phase should hopefully go really quickly right sometimes they don't but the intent is like product demos take a, you know think of intent as the person who's standing at the merch table and feeling the t-shirt and they ask you how much it costs and they pick it up and they put it back down and they pick it up again but they're just not sure right and you're not exactly sure like what they're waiting for but this is the that that's intent right so, so you can follow up like digitally you can follow up with abandoned shopping cart emails or product demos or like coupon codes you know like hey i noticed that you put this t-shirt in your box and then you closed the browser so here's a 
$10 off coupon or whatever. So that's intent. And then evaluation and purchase should happen very quickly together. And that's when the person's like, okay, I'm gonna just buy this. I have the money, I'm in, I'm invested, I'm click and go, right? So that, that purchase phase is the only time in this whole process when you're gonna make any money. And people, you notice how big the awareness one is and how small the purchase one is? You have to appeal to like thousands of people in order to make a few sales. So this funnel, and I'm gonna uh, share this with you guys, but this funnel is the best way to promote your products, especially digitally, when people haven't heard of you, or even if people have heard of you, you wanna create different marketing messages for each of the different phases of the funnel. And you wanna do it for each of the different types of person, types of people that you're appealing to. So the, um, the last phase of figuring all this stuff out is being very specific about who you are appealing to, okay? So you might've heard of those as target markets. I like to use the phrase customer avatar as opposed to target market because the avatar, the phrase avatar to me creates a vision of who this person specifically is and what this person like very specifically looks, looks like. When you are creating a customer avatar, there are a few key demographics, psychographics, and geographics that you have to answer. Because remember I said that you can meet your thousand true fan goals by having 20 in each state. Well, it might not be fully reasonable for you to appeal to every single state right now, especially if you want to tour. Like having 20 fans in Alaska might not actually suit you right now, right? So the uh, main demographics that you want to hit for each target market is age, gender, marital status, number of children, location. And those are pretty basic. So if you are tempted to be like, oh, well, I want my people to be any age and it doesn't matter what gender, all genders are welcome and I don't care if they're married or not, then I strongly encourage you to take a step back and picture your fans in the crowd. Actually picture them, maybe draw them, draw what they look like. And here's the reason why. We're only talking about your true fans here. Remember, this is only 20% of your fan base. 80% of your fan base is gonna be made up of people that you didn't target and can't control at all. So these 20% that you're targeting, these thousand people, I, I genuinely want you to be really specific about who they are and what they look like. And don't worry about offending anybody or hurting anybody's feelings. You're not excluding people. You're not being like, you're not welcome. That's not at all what we're going for here. So like for me in this class, my target markets are young musicians, like college age musicians, young entrepreneurs. So people who are managers or podcasters or like business owners in some way super talented musicians who just can't help how successful they're being. Like they just open their mouths and money pours in. And then students. So like very specifically people who are still in college. And I think I might've shared that with you guys in the marketing plan. So you can dive a little bit deeper into my specific target markets, but I used this avatar sheet to create those. I gave them names, I gave them ages, and whether they were married or not, you know, like my entrepreneur might be married, where my young college student almost likely is not going to be married, right? And what's their occupation? What's their job title? What's their annual income? And that's really important for how you price things. Because if you, if your annual income for all of your target markets is like less than 25 grand a year, then you're going to have a hard time reaching your sales goals because you're going to have to price everything really low, right? 
So annual income is important, level of education. And then I go goals and values, sources of information, challenges and pain points, and objections and role in the purchase process. So like, so we'll start with goals and values. This is made for business, not necessarily made for musicians. And there are a lot of really great programs out there that do this exact same thing for musicians. So if you want to dive deeper into like creating your, your target market fan avatar, there's definitely other programs that, that do that better than what I'm doing here. But this is kind of like the broad general overview. So goals and values. It's not just what does your consumer want out of your transaction and your musical transaction. It's more of like, what does this person want out of life? Do they want to travel a lot? You know, that's something that um, jam band fans like Humphreys McGee, Fish, Grateful Dead, they know that their target avatar wants to travel. And so they specifically book concerts in places like Iceland and the Dominican Republic and Mexico. And they tour around the whole country knowing that their fans are going to come with them because their fans want to travel. And that's like one of their life goals, right? Identifying that kind of stuff is really important to helping you decide what products and services you want to offer. Because you notice, have you noticed that we still haven't talked about what products and services you specifically offer? And that is very much on purpose because you have to know what your people want before you decide what to offer them. You know what you're good at, you know what's important to you, but you don't know what your customer wants because you haven't created them yet, right? Or identified them, I guess, as the case may be. So, you know, figure out what your customer wants out of life and what they want out of your transaction. What are they trying to do here? Like, what's the point? And what's important to them? What are some of their values? Do they want do they just want the emotional connection or do they want to travel with you? Do they want to look cool? You know, are they like trying to be super cutting edge and that's why they're following you? Stuff like that. And then where do they get their, what, what other kinds of sources do they get information from? This can be super helpful when you are trying to target your actual awareness ads so like what books do they read? What magazines? What other blogs are they reading? I for the the ad for this class, I targeted it to people who like Billboard magazine. Not everybody likes Billboard magazine. That is very specifically a trade magazine, right? But you know, I didn't I don't want everybody who considers themselves to be a musician in here. I only wanted people who are committed to being professional musicians. And those people tend to follow Billboard. So what other blogs or websites are they looking at? What conferences do they go to? What kind of like gurus are they following? And this, this sources of information part right here is part of why I had you make the list of the other uh, people that you admire in business, because I want you to think about like, what do they read? And what sources are they quoting and who are they following, right? So then what challenges and pain points are your target markets coming up upon? When you are crafting these like challenges and pain points, think outside of just music and think outside of just like the normal course of being a musician because it really goes beyond that like what kinds of things are your fans dealing with in their day-to-day -day life and what kinds of like problems are they coming up upon that maybe you can help them get through some people i have one client who like very specifically makes electronic music that he wants people to listen to when they're exercising and that he's super niche down he's like that's all he really cares about. He wants to get on those like pumped up exercise playlists, right? So the challenges for his clients are like, I don't feel like exercising today. Or 
you know, I can't get through this workout without feeling pumped up or something like that. So think about like, what's your person going through? And then also like, what sorts of problems are they coming up upon that you could help them get through? And then also think about what kinds of objections are they going to have to the things that you're selling? So if you offer your whole email list, a free download, for example, why might they say no? One reason might be because they don't download anything. I don't download anything. I wouldn't even know really how to play it. I would want a Spotify stream, right? So I, I really like to fall down the why rabbit hole. I think it's fun. <laughs> maybe it's not fun. Maybe it's terrible. But, um, you know, I, I fall down this hole of like, okay, I'm going to offer this to people. Why would they say no? Well, they would say no because they don't want to commit. You know, for this class, I was like, why might people say no? They might say no because they don't want to commit to 10 straight days. Why? Because that is, it's too much time. It's too much information. Okay. How can I shorten it? You know, and I keep going through that process until I get to a point where I either decide that it's more important to me to do the 10 days or I find a different way around it, right? So like, I know that there's a lot of people that are interested in this class that aren't in here right now because they couldn't commit to the 10 days. So I'm going to go back to them afterwards and I'm going to offer it to them in a kind of like a la carte way of like, you can do it. You can, here's the class, here's everything we talked about and you can do it on your own time now. And it's not going to take 10 days or 10 straight days. You know, you can do it over a year if you want. So figure out what kind of objections they would have to you and try not to let your like, try not to let your own psychology talk you out of it here, but be realistic about it. Like why might people say no? They might genuinely say no. Why would they? It's not because they hate you. It's not because they think you're a loser. That it's not those things, right? Because at this point, at this objections point in the purchase process, they're all the way at the bottom of the funnel. They, the people who didn't like your message dropped out in the awareness phase. And the people who can't afford you dropped out in the consideration phase. The, the people at the very bottom of the purchase process, they want to buy from you. They just need a little bit more coaxing or a little bit more incentive and that they need that like final thing. And, you know, one of my favorite uh, sales mentors, his name is Dan McPherson and he lives in Ann Arbor. And he told me to ask people specifically, what's, what would be stopping you from right now making this purchase? And that, I think that question is so powerful because a lot of times the answer is just, well, I have to, I have to think about it or I just don't feel like it's right for me or I have to talk to my husband or like, you know, whatever. So that question that what, what would stop you? What is stopping you from making this purchase right now? You know, that's something that I want you to become comfortable with asking your fans and like, you know, here's a concert ticket for sale. Why wouldn't you buy it? And then maybe the people are like, well, I can't go that day. I'm busy that day. And then you just know, okay, it's not me. It's not personal. It has nothing to do with my own, you know, all the different mental thoughts that I could be thinking about how I'm not good enough. It's just that they're busy that day. So they'll come next time because I'll come back and, you know, oh, so a Tuesday doesn't work for you. Well, what's the best day of the week for you? That kind of thing. So I will, I'm going to put this up in the group. And I also have a couple other things that I want you guys to check out. I want you to check out the Brene Brown talk on vulnerability, mostly because I think it's extremely powerful for musicians to, musicians are already in a place of vulnerability where you, you're already up there sharing these things that you've written and your voice and it's, you're already like 90% of the way there. So when you finally embrace that final step of vulnerability, that is where the absolute true magic happens, where you bring those people in and you like, they are just joined to you for life, right? 
And then I'm going to show you a download um, from a great publicity firm, a PR firm called Cyber PR. It's uh, basically how to figure out who your ultimate fan is. It's kind of like the avatar, but um, more music oriented. So those are your two homework assignments for tonight. Watch the Brene Brown vulnerability thing. Make your customer avatar and figure out who your thousand true fans, like what your thousand true fans look like. If anybody has any questions, let me know. Um, I love you guys. This has been so much fun for me. This is like, this is where I think all the magic really happens. This is like the really, really good stuff here. We start to get into the marketing, but we could only get here by getting through all the other like drudgery, right? Like, like I don't want you to execute any of these campaigns without having a checking account in place and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I love you guys. Thank you so much for joining me today and we'll see you tomorrow. When Songs Mean Business is a production of Steph Belcher Business Management, LLC. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Steph Belcher. Please make sure to join us in our Facebook group, When Songs Mean Business, and follow us on Instagram at When Songs Mean Business. As always, thank you to The Dropout for the break music. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.